0: And on this week's show, we find out about the Aussie AFCON, as 16 African nations are represented in the biggest community football tournament in Australia, kicking off this weekend.
1: You know, in a new country, in a new place, we need each other as Africans and promote that unity, football.
0: And also on the show, as Spanish La Liga club Real Betis launched their first academy in Sub-Saharan Africa in Zimbabwe, we hear about the potential benefits. And Stewart looks at the problems at Manchester United. But first, it's an all-Egyptian CAF Champions League final, with Zamalek beating Raja Casablanca of Morocco 3-1 in the second leg for a 4-1 aggregate win in their semi-final. The rescheduled final on the 27th of this month sees Zamalek playing against their great Cairo rivals Al-Athli. And after this weekend's games, teams will be assembling for the third and fourth rounds of qualifying for the 2021 Africa Cup of Nations. Now, we'll see how the picture will be in terms of travel with COVID-19 restrictions. We'll see if Europe-based players will be allowed to travel for the games. The window for the fixtures, the 9th to the 17th of this month. Now, on last week's show, we spoke to Arsenal's former head of global scouting, Francis Cahigal. He told us how sophisticated the scouting system is with the top European clubs and that they study certain players for years. He explained how they tracked Pierre-Emerick Aubameyang for many seasons and he also emphasized that Africa needs to invest more in scouting structures. Well, following up on this, as many young players in Africa dream of getting a chance to go to Europe, there's a possible route in Zimbabwe, A Spanish La Liga club Real Betis launched an academy here in Harare last weekend. It's their first in sub-Saharan Africa. Betis are the fifth biggest club in Spain. They'll be sending a technical director to oversee the project, and they'll be using Zimbabwean coaches. Well at the launch I spoke to a couple of hopefuls. My name is
2: Sisu Mpofu and um, I'm 16 years old. I think it's a, it's, it's a huge opportunity for the youth and it's really exciting to see how much of a, how much of an opportunity we've been given to express our talents in other countries. And I hope to maybe one day even play at the Benito Via, Via Arena.
3: My name is Charles Razungizra and I'm 13 years old. So how I got to where I am right now is keeping up my consistency, like going to training every single Saturday. Um, my role model is Cristiano Ronaldo. His enthusiasm, is just his general greatness really encouraged me to play football.
0: Well, inspired by Cristiano Ronaldo. And the first boy mentioned playing at Benito Villamarin. That's the home ground of Real Betis in Spain. Well, the Spanish La Liga managing director for Southern Africa, Marcos Pellegrin, was also there. I asked him about La Liga's presence in Africa.
4: So we expanded internationally five years ago. Our second office that we opened was uh, Johannesburg. Uh, Right now we got presence in 46 different countries. Uh, In Africa we're a team of uh, 15 people. Our uh, main base is Johannesburg but obviously we want to develop projects in every single country. And at the end it's growing the, the, the football game because uh, in our opinion that will grow uh, communities and uplift them and at the end it's all about education, values and everything else will come behind.
0: So Real Betis have launched this academy in Zimbabwe. Which other clubs have got academies in Africa?
4: Well, we got uh, Bars Academy in Zambia, also in Nigeria. Real Madrid, if I'm not mistaken, they got in Morocco and Egypt. I think it's uh, something that they need to explore more, and as La Liga and, and their representatives here, uh, would love to to assist them and, and on opening these kind of projects. And uh, what do you think these academies can achieve? We're talking about youngsters, uh, young men and young women, so first, I hope that uh, they bring values through the academies, the values of sports, values of football, education, because only a very, very tiny percentage make it to professionals. So I hope they learned uh, and it's going to help them developing their, pro- their professional careers. And Maybe some of them will make it, uh, but if not, uh, I, I expect them to, to go out of the academy with a lifetime experience.
0: That's the Spanish La Liga Managing Director for Southern Africa, Marcos Pellegrin. I was speaking to him at the launch of the Real Batiste Academy here in Zimbabwe. Well, as you would imagine, there's been a huge response from families who want their talented boys and girls to join the Academy. Uh, but Ida, what Pellegrin said there about the benefits of these Academies in Africa was very important, that it's only a few who will get to go to Europe, but that there are other benefits.
3: Well, Steve, it largely depends on context, and especially when we talk about the effect of football academies in Africa versus, say, Europe. Because in Africa, I would definitely say that the benefits outweigh anything else. Pellegrin, there, you know, talking about exposure, and I think that that's really number one. And allow me to take a quick detour here, Steve. To a story that stuck with me. It's one that I did years ago on a football academy called Akakoro. Now. It's in a Kenyan slum, and they got the opportunity to take part in a European football junior competition. Went on to beat the likes of Barcelona, Atletico Madrid, and the world took note. They were featured in some of the biggest global news sites. And these are kids who, you know, had never been on an airplane, let alone even knew what a passport was, definitely didn't know how it felt like to take a shower after a game. And here they were beating the world's best and most privileged kids. Now that's exposure. And if for nothing else, academies broaden these kids' minds. It's about the discipline as well, you know, the work ethic. And for European clubs establishing themselves in Africa, well, that exposes the kids to a higher level of sports infrastructure and definitely allows them to dream big, Steve. We do have a few academies in the continent, Steve, that have produced top talent, like the Right to Dream Academy in Kumasi, Ghana. That's where Kudus Mohammed developed his talent. He recently made his Champions League debut for Ajax against Liverpool. But with that said, there are also... You know, so many sort of ramshackle, I will say, football academies sprouting up in different parts of the continent. And some have accused these of being platforms to migrate African footballers to Europe. There was an interesting report by non-profit organization Solidaire. and according to this, over 15,000 young players are moved out of West Africa each year under false pretenses. But yes, Steve, indeed, going back to your earlier point, well, few really make it professional through the football academies, and oftentimes in Europe, that's what it's really about, you know. And the statistics are quite damning, I mean, of the boys who enter an academy at the age of nine well less than one percent of them make it pro to put it into context only 180 of the 1.5 million players yes 1.5 million who are currently playing organized youth football in england only 180 of them make it as premier league professionals
0: Well, and I guess that that's the football economics that uh, top clubs and other organisations can afford to run academies, uh, knowing that only a very few will make it, but that the value of a player in the English Premier League or another big league is uh, just so high. Well, an interesting story that contrasts with this one of what we might call the business of football, the industry of football. Uh, The game is also very much about fun and pride and flying your country's flag, too. Now, this weekend, Africans in Australia will kick off a six-week competition that's the biggest community football tournament in Australia, their version of the Africa Cup of Nations. This is in partnership with one of the biggest teams in Australia and Asia, the Western Sydney Wanderers. Now, my colleague Simba Chiminiya spoke to Zimbabwe-born Bernard Muchemwa, who is the president of the Africa Cup of Nations Australia. He gives us the background to the tournament and an insight into football among African immigrants in Australia.
1: You know, there was an explosion of Africans coming to Australia. We most of them were due to, I mean, problems take home, like from West Africa, Sierra Leone, Liberia, Congo, then later on started having Zimbabweans and other Africans were here. So the pioneers wanted to create a platform where Africans can come together, a foster oneness, foster unity, cultural infusion and networking, you know, in a new country, in a new place. We needed each other as Africans and promote that unity. But football, as you know, is Africa's number one sport and football unites everyone. So we obviously Use football to unite us. That's, that's how the idea started, about African unity.
2: Just give us uh, an insight into the depth of uh, our talent that is there.
1: It's amazing. Some of the boys, you know in Australia, what we call A-League, A-League is the highest league in the country. Uh, we have some boys who went on to play in that A-League who came from our tournament, a number, quite a number
0: That's Bernard Muchemwa, who's the president of the African Cup of Nations Australia. Well, some talent has been unearthed and some players have joined Australian A-League clubs. But for most, it's about unity, patriotism, identity, bringing people together. What a wonderful side of football, Ida
3: wonderful steve as you say it's the other side of football that's not necessarily about the hardcore stuff you know just people having fun and using sports to foster unity and it must take huge amounts of organization as well i mean we're talking 16 countries from all corners of africa which are taking part you know including zimbabwe drc egypt cameroon tanzania even Sao Tome, Steve. <laughs> and as Muchemo has put it, well, the African talent in the Australian football leagues is rising by the day. Let's look at South Sudan, for example. Well, in the Afghan qualifiers, their squad had 12 Australia-based players. And I think that gives some insight into just what we're talking about. And according to the Australian Bureau of Statistics, well, over 380,000 Africans were recorded as living in Australia in the country's 2016 census. And the Western Sydney Wanderers are definitely tapping into this, partnering with and also welcoming the ANSA African Cup to their facilities. The tournament will be entering its 21st year, Steve, and it's a hub for youth players and African coaches alike to showcase their skills. Skills and, you know, at the same time, be actively involved in their community.
0: Yes, yeah, sure, and I really found that a refreshing story, representing your country so far away from home in the Aussie AFCON Social Tournament. Thanks, Ida. This is Planet Sport Football Africa, brought to you by Passion for Sport. And still to come, Stuart on the English Premier League and on legend Diego Maradona, the Argentinian turning 60 recently. You can follow us on Twitter at Planet Sport FA, and our website is planetsport.tv. Now, recently added there, we have a blog called Justice, Fairness, and the Free Gift of Forgiveness. Uh, to read that, you go to our website, planetsport.tv, and click on the blog section. The website again, planetsport.tv. And you can download our app and listen to the show anytime and access past programs in our archive. To download, go to the Play Store or the Apple iTunes App Store and enter Planet Sport Football Africa. Well, to social media now, and last week we asked who do you think will win this season's UEFA Champions League? A few surprises so far, but a picture is emerging of who might be the main contenders. So we asked, will it be Bayern Munich doing it again? And are Real Madrid and Barcelona strong enough to challenge? And what about the English Premier League clubs? Well, as you might expect, we've had another great response. We'll try to get through as many of your comments as possible. Here to read them, my colleague, Planet Sport Football Africa's Ephraim Tagu. Thanks, Steve. And on WhatsApp, we start
2: in Malawi with Patrick Mwamlima, who says, I think Bayern Munich can defend their title, looking at their consistency. And Pa Saiko in the Gambia agrees. Well, as a Liverpool fan, I think Bayern will go for it again, says Pa they showed against Atletico Madrid that they are continuing where they left off last season. Apart referring to Bayern's 4 0 drubbing of Atletico in the first match day last month. Ricky Gulube in Zambia also goes for the German champions. Bayern Munich stands out among the favourites because they never seem to take their feet off the pedal as far as winning is concerned, and I will not write them off," says Ricky. However, Ismaila Saidi in the Gambia disagrees. I think Bayern will go a long way, maybe to the quarterfinals, says Ismaila, but Barcelona will reach the final and will probably clinch the title this time around. And Brahim Kabia in Morocco agrees, saying simply, it will be Barcelona. For Nobel Botomani in Malawi, this year's champions will be Barca's fiercest rivals. Real Madrid will win the UEFA Champions League and no English Premier League clubs will reach the finals, says Noble. But Sambu, one in the Gambia, disagrees with Noble. Here's his voice note. Well, it will be very, very early to predict the winner, as far as I am concerned. I cannot say Bayern or Real Madrid or Barcelona, but other teams can come up. Teams like PSD can come back. Man United can pick up their form and, uh, the forms of 1999 and, uh, do something bigger. Uh, So, Sambo won there saying he doesn't see Bayern retaining their title nor either of the two Spanish giants, Real Madrid or Barcelona, but instead he's going for PSG or Manchester United. And, uh, Jesse Rando in Sierra Leone agrees Manchester United will win this year's Champions League, says Jesse, because they have the players But it depends on the team selection of the manager to build the confidence of the players. And Jesse has an ally in Sajo from the Gambia. Manchester United is my tip to win the Champions League if they continue with their form, says Sajo. Bayern Munich are strong enough to win it again, but Real Madrid and Barcelona are out of the running. I don't rule out the other English teams like Chelsea, Liverpool and Manchester City, but I see Manchester United as the champions. Mustafa Turai is in Malaysia. My bet is on Liverpool as I'm a Liverpool fan, says Mustafa, but being realistic, their chances are slim considering the recent injury crisis. However, they could prove to be stern contenders. But if not Liverpool, my bet is on Manchester United. I'd hate to see it happen, but their campaign has started well to be crowned as champions of Europe. And Modu Sainé, also in the Gambia, shares the same view. I'm rooting for Manchester United, says Modu. Uh, But Jimmy James Pirezi in Uganda thinks the title could go to the other side of Manchester. Manchester City could win it in my own perspective, says Jimmy. But then Bayamini could also retain the trophy. Uh, But some of our correspondents this week, like uh, Jolanding Jaune in the Gambia, uh, there's only one answer. For me, it's uh, just too early to predict, says landing. However, I believe the favourites include the current champions, Bayern Munich, Liverpool, Barcelona, Real Madrid and the two Manchester clubs. And my mighty Blues, Chelsea. And in a similar vein, here's Lai Sisei in the Gambia. It's very difficult to say for now because the tournament is quite young, says Lai, but I'm tipping one of the English Premier League clubs to scoop it this time around because of the huge investments they have made during the summer transfer window. And finally, Ronald B. Yanate, also in the Gambia, agrees and points to another important factor. This year's Champions League will be full of surprises, says Ronald. Uh, But I do think Manchester United have the chance to be champions once more. Uh, Bayern will find it difficult to retain their title and Real Madrid and Barca are not on their top form. Nevertheless, who knows? It is the Champions League, which is the league of surprises. So then, Steve, a bit of a cross-section of views as we'd expect with many of our correspondents this week saying Bayern will retain their title and another large group who feel this could be the year for Manchester United. But then, I'm sure many of our listeners this week will agree with Lai, Jolanding and Ronald that it's just too
0: early to predict in a competition which is often full of surprises. Thanks, Ephraim. That's Ephraim Tagu there. And thanks to all who got in touch. And sorry if we didn't have time to read out your message. And those comments came before Manchester United's defeat to Istanbul Basak Sahir here on Wednesday. And I'd say that Bayern continued to look very good with that 6-2 win away to RB Salzburg. Well, now let's go to the UK and join our European football expert, Stuart Weir, and talk English Premier League. And, well, the table's looking a little bit closer to what we might expect. Liverpool now on top, Leicester second, Tottenham in third, uh, Chelsea sixth, Arsenal back in ninth, Manchester City in an unfamiliar tenth place, Manchester United way down in fifteenth on seven points. Well, it's now getting really concerning for Manchester United fans, uh, even more so with that defeat to Istanbul-Basak Sahir in the Champions League. But before that, Stuart, uh, what about Tottenham? They're looking pretty good right now
5: under Jose Mourinho. Yes, Tottenham have moved into third place in the league table, undefeated in their last five games. But it's not quite as straightforward as that. Last week in the Europa League, Tottenham lost away to Antwerp in Belgium, Jose Mourinho made three substitutions at half time and said that his team had been so bad in the first half that he was sorry he wasn't allowed to substitute all ten of them. (laughs) Last weekend Tottenham beat Brighton 2-1 helped by a VAR decision that just seemed wrong. Harry Kane won a penalty when Adam Lallana of Brighton was deemed to have climbed on Kane's back but many observers thought it was Kane who had committed the foul. So Tottenham proved a bit lucky in that one. But it was a landmark for Gareth Bale scoring his first goal for Tottenham for seven years. And incidentally, Jose Mourinho then used his midweek press conference to talk about the Kane incident. I think you might call it a rant where he said that rather than talking about Harry Kane, people should be looking at the number of penalties Manchester United get, that Manchester City get, that Liverpool get, the amount of diving and simulation going on everywhere else except at Tottenham. Manchester United's defeat at home to Arsenal was their third league defeat in four home league games this season. Now, you can say that Arsenal's goal came from a penalty when Pogba made an unnecessary tackle that United hit the post and might have had a penalty themselves. But the simple fact is that in the four home league games this season, United have scored two goals. The team looks lacking in creativity. And Ole Gunnar Solskjaer seems reluctant to play their marquee signing, Donny van der Beek, who got 15 minutes on Sunday and who has played 80 minutes in six league games this season. A complete mystery to me why he's not playing more. As is the fact that their new proven striker, Edison Cavani, has yet to start a game. And losing in the Champions League in Istanbul was just embarrassing. The two goals they conceded, frankly, would have embarrassed a school under-10s team. So, all sorts of things going wrong at United at the moment. And this coming Saturday, they're away to Everton. And Everton have lost their last two games. So, that is a really vital game for both teams. Arsenal's win over Manchester United was the first time since January 2015 that Arsenal had recorded an away win against one of the so-called Big Six. And three African players made big contributions to the win. Pierre-Emerick Aubameyang scoring the penalty, while Egypt's Mohamed Elneny and Ghana's Thomas Party seemed to control midfield. And incidentally, Aubameyang's goal ended a sequence of his last 16 League and Cup goals for Arsenal, all being scored in London. Southampton beat Aston Villa 4-3 with James Ward-Prowse scoring two free kicks, and on his birthday, and it gets better, Steve. The game was played on the 1st of November, which in England is called All Saints' Day, and of course Southampton are nicknamed the Saints. So Ward-Prowse became the first Saint to score on All Saints' Day since 1958. Hakim Ziyech from Morocco scored for Chelsea, and in the same game, Kurt Zouma scored. So they became the first two players with a surname beginning with Zed, ever to score in the same Premier League game. At the bottom of the table, Fulham winning on Monday night now leaves Sheffield United, West Brom and Burnley in the bottom three places in the league and all still chasing their first win after six games. Steve, I came across a really strange statistic this week. At a time when the UK has a right-wing government, the Premier League is moving to the left. This season, 13 of the 20 teams have spent significantly more time attacking on the left than on the right side of the pitch. A fascinating statistic, but quite difficult to explain. The other top game this coming weekend is when Liverpool go to Manchester City on Sunday. It's a game which in the previous two seasons would have been between the top two teams in the country, but I'm not so sure this year, and certainly with Manchester City currently five points behind Liverpool, a good result is imperative for them. It's amazing that Man City are so
0: far down the table, but it could still be a very significant game, especially if Man City don't win, as you say. And Stuart, last week you told us about the Brazilian legend Pele, who turned 80 recently. Many of the older generations say that Pele is the greatest footballer of all time. Now the Argentina legend Diego Maradona has turned 60. Others say that he's the greatest
5: of all time. When Argentina beat England 2-1 in the quarter-final of the 1986 World Cup, Diego Maradona scored both goals. And the two goals, in a sense, sum up his career. One demonstrated absolute genius as he took the ball from his own half past defender after defender round the goalkeeper before putting it in the net. The other one was the infamous hand-of-God goal when he cheated knocking the ball past the England goalkeeper with his hand claiming to have headed it. Maradona played for Argentina in four World Cups captaining his team to victory in that 1986 World Cup and to defeat in the final in 1990. His international career lasted 17 years, 1977 to 1994, and he made 91 appearances, scoring 34 international goals for his country. At the age of 22, he left Argentina for Barcelona. But his time at Barcelona was moderately successful only and marred by an incident in the final of the Spanish Cup in which he headbutted an opponent. This led to a brawl of most of the players in the game. Barcelona's reaction to that was to sell him to Naples in Italy. He played for Naples for seven years, 1984 to 91. Now, Naples would not be regarded as one of the top clubs in Italy, but while he was there, he helped them to win the Italian League Serie A twice, and the Italian Cup and the UEFA Cup. And when he left, Naples took the unusual step of retiring the number 10 shirt. After one season with Seville in Spain, Maradona returned to Argentina and played for his last four years there, retiring at 37. But already before the end of his time in Naples, personal problems had begun to dog him. He was fined and then banned for a year for using cocaine. He also struggled with alcohol addiction. After he retired from playing, he continued to have serious health issues related generally to his addictions and excessive weight. At times, his weight went up to 130 kilos, and remember, he's only 1.65 metres tall. For the last 12 years, he's been a football manager, managing Argentina and in Mexico and in the Middle East. His two years as manager of his country included the 2010 World Cup where I saw Argentina beaten 4-0 by Germany in the quarterfinal in Cape Town and it was a disappointing time for him really in charge of that team. Pelle is remembered as a great footballer. Maradona is remembered, yes, as a great footballer, but also for so many negative things. The hand of God goal, the drugs, the alcohol, The health issues are also very much part of the Maradona story. Pelle is remembered for helping Brazil win three World Cups. Maradona took Argentina to two World Cup finals, but is also remembered for the other things as well. Last week he celebrated his 60th birthday, but sadly was admitted to hospital for brain surgery, from which we understand he is now recovering. Yes, let's hope he makes a
0: full recovery. Diego Maradona, the Argentinian, no doubt one of the greatest footballers of all time. Thanks, Stuart. Uh, That's it for the show for this week. But on social media, we're asking, are Spurs serious contenders in the Premier League? Liverpool going top and Tottenham now in third. Uh, Spurs last won the league in 1961. But with Gareth Bale now fit and with manager Jose Mourinho famous for doing well in his second season at clubs, would you say that Tottenham are serious contenders for the title this season? or will they be fighting for a top four place rather than for the title itself you can post a comment on our facebook page planet sport football africa or send us a whatsapp to plus +447955232780 that's plus +447955232780 our spurs serious contenders Well, we'll be back next week. So from me, Steve Vickers, and Ephraim Tagu in Harare, from Ida Waringa in Nairobi, and Stuart Weir in the UK, thanks a lot for listening. And Planet Sport Football Africa is a passion for sport production.